All right, so I'd like to welcome you to the after lunch session on the second day. As you digest your food, I invite you to think about the uh, following paper instead of comments. So we have uh, comments by Jeff Russell, who is at Oxford, um, on a paper by Tim Pickavance. How do you say it? Uh, Pickavance. Yeah, how, that's Tim Pickavance. Excellent. And sorry, look for your name now. Oh, you need to know Daniel Eaton? Daniel Eaton. Uh, on wagering on pragmatic encroachment. Okay, great. So, um, so Tim and Daniel argue that given pragmatic encroachment, it's harder to know atheism than it is to know Christian doctrines are true. Um, and the way they argue for this is they look at various decision setups and they argue that in these different uh, setups, which might plausibly be the ones that we're in with respect to these religious questions, uh, this, they argue that the stakes are higher for the atheist than they are for the Christian. Um, and the main way that they, that they make their case is by relying on certain kinds of intuitive judgments about what the stakes are like in these cases. So in light of this, it feels like it might be kind of helpful for me to tell you all what the true theory of stakes is. Uh, uh, I thought maybe this would be helpful. <laughs> he only so, gets 15 minutes, though. Don't interrupt Hey, me. that's not out of my time. <laughs> um, so... The, the method that I'm going to use for, for arguing for this is not uh, eliciting intuitions about cases. Um, instead, the method is uh, we're going to look at what role high stakes are supposed to play according to the pragmatic encroacher um, and see what would have to be true about high stakes uh, for high stakes to work the way they're supposed to in pragmatic encroachment. And then using a few assumptions from decision theory, uh, we can work out exactly what does that job. Um, so what I really mean when I tell you I'm going to tell you the true theory of stakes is I'm going to tell you the theory of stakes that follows from pragmatic encroachment plus decision theory. Um, you can think of this as moving in the opposite direction from the way that Charity and John did. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that stakes fit the, the job that they're supposed to play in the knowledge action link and then working out consequences from there rather than trying to show that it doesn't fit. Um, uh, first, a couple notes about what we're talking about. Um, so, so Tim and Daniel, the locution they like is that it, it takes more evidence um, uh, to know atheism if it's true. Or if it's true, um, the locution that uh, that Jeremy and Matt use, which uh, Tim and Daniel approvingly cite, um, is in terms of having a stronger epistemic position. I'm going to assume that what we're talking about is having a higher probability. Um, in the sense, in the, the, the sense where that the, the, the kind of probability that plays a role in decision theory. Um, often these things are called credences. Um, uh, a couple cautionary notes about this. I don't think it follows, even if we accept the conclusion that um, uh, the probability threshold is higher for knowing atheism than it is for knowing theism, I don't think that implies that it's harder to know atheism than it is to know theism. Because look, these are different propositions. Evidence that pertains to each of them might be easier to get in some cases than others. Um, it's, very, it's a whole lot easier for me to reach a very, very high probability threshold about my number of fingers than it is to reach a much lower probability threshold about the number of grains of sand. Um, and we also, I, I want to just, another cautionary note is we shouldn't be scared off even if the probabilities involved are extremely large. Because a lot of times it's, it's, uh, it's, it's rational to have extremely high probabilities uh, for, for certain hypotheses. Uh, this is something that I think sometimes gets lost here. As long, I mean, it's more complicated if we're looking at infinite values, but we're not, so keep that in mind. Um, 
Okay, so a couple things about what the stakes role is in pragmatic encroachment as I'm understanding it. Um, so the first condition um, is a persistification of the knowledge action link. Um, this is the, the principle that uh, Charity and John call practical adequacy. Um, so the idea is that if you know that X is the case, um, then you should be practically certain of X in the sense that you are certain enough of X for all practical purposes. Um, so what that means is that uh, whatever it's rational for you to do conditional on X is also rational for you to do full stop. Um, the second uh, principle I'm, I'm assuming here is uh, that practical adequacy gives you some kind of probability threshold. Um, so the circumstances in which you are practically certain of X are those in which your prob the probability you assign X is above some threshold. Um, and the third assumption is that threshold co-varies with how high the stakes are. Um, so the assumption is that the high stakes situations are the ones where the probability threshold for practical certainty are higher. Um, okay, I'm also making some basic assumptions about decision theory. Uh, I'll come back to some of these in a moment, but uh, the main thing is that I'm just assuming that uh, what it's rational for you to do is whatever actions have the highest expected value for you. Um, and that's what I'm denoting by V. Um, and C is your credence. Um, I'm also going to make, uh, I'll come back to the other things in a moment. I'm also making a couple of simplifying assumptions about the kind of situation we're looking at. So I'm assuming what we're looking at is a forced choice between just two actions, A and B. Um, I'm also assuming that uh, we're not in the kind of situation where whether Christianity is true is something that might, I might make more or less likely by believing in it. Um, there, are, there are decisions that have that feature. This is not one of them. So I'm assuming that whether the proposition is true is independent of my choice of action. Um, and the third thing I'm assuming is just that uh, on X, A is the best action, uh, strictly best. Okay, so in this case, looking at just what practical certainty means, um, it follows that I'm, if, this, if that's my setup, then I'm practically certain of X just in case a is unconditionally one of the best things for me to do, at least as good as B. Um, so now here's where we're going to use one non-trivial fact, uh, but standard fact about uh, expected values. Um, the assumption is that uh, when I want to consider what the expected value of A is, I can work that out by looking at a weighted sum of the different cases in which A might be true. So I'll consider the case where I do A and X is true, and I'll weight that by how likely x is to be true conditional on my doing a. And I'll add that to the expected value of a in the case where x is false. And I'll multiply that by how likely x is to be false, supposing I do a. Um, and so now I'm practically certain of x, just in case this number is at least as big as the same thing for b, which I won't bother writing out. Now, the independence assumption means that I can simplify this guy and this guy into just the probability I have for x and the probability I have for not x. So there's just a little bit of algebra, and we get to the, uh, the inequality, which is written towards the bottom of the handout there. The number on the left there, that's what we call the odds of x. It's just the ratio between probability of x and the probability of not x. Um, and so I'm practically certain of x, given, these, these, uh, given decision theory. Um, just in case the odds that I give x are bigger than this number here. That number I'm calling s of x. Um, and since my odds are higher if and only if my credence is higher, um, that means that 
my, if the, if the, that the probability threshold goes up as this number goes up. So that means, using the principle that the stakes set the threshold, uh, that means that the stakes go up as this number goes up. So this is what we might call the stakes. Um, but I mean, there's other things that we could call the stakes. The important thing is the comparisons between this number and the same the, uh, analogous number for other, for other propositions. So that's what stakes should mean if you like pragmatic encroachment as I've characterized it and you like decision theory. Um, so let me just say a couple things about what this is like. So this is a ratio between two things. This top thing, that's the cost of being wrong about x. So what that is, it is, so remember, a is the best thing for me to do, conditional on x, right? Um, so supposing I do a, and x turns out to be false, this is how much worse off I am than I would have been if I had done the other action. Um, as that cost of being wrong goes up, the stakes go up. The other value here is the benefit of being right about x. Um, so that's how much better A is, supposing x is true, than whatever the, uh, the, the alternative action would have been. So as the benefit of being right goes up, the stakes go down. Um, that means there's some cases, which I'm not going to go into, Charity's pointed some of this stuff out to me, where this gives you not things that don't really jive real well with the way we automatically talk about stakes. Um, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, basically, you got to either reject pragmatic encroachment as characterize it, or reject decision theory, or reject those intuitions. Um, and my money is on decision theory, so um, we can talk. Uh, okay. So let me just real quick run through how this works in a case. There's there's one at the top on the back of the handout. Um, so standard bank case. Um, what we're looking at here then, so the, in this case, to figure out what the, the cost of being wrong is about the bank being open on a Saturday, uh, just look on the, the, the column where the bank is closed on Saturday and look at how, gap, how big the gap is between the, uh, the, the bad thing to do and the good thing to do. So there's a big gap in this case between how much, it's how much better a long wait is than uh, terrible things happening. So I am, I'm short on time, so I'm assuming you're familiar with the bank cases, but we can go over it if we need to. Um, actually, you can basically read it off from the table what the case is. So, um, Meanwhile, the benefit of being right is much smaller, and so we get the verdict that this is, that this S of X here is something really big. Meanwhile, if we take, go back to the kind of low stakes standard cases where that terrible things gets replaced by something very mundane, then the difference between the long wait and the something mundane is much smaller than the difference between the long wait and whatever the terrible things were. So we get the verdict that uh, the high stakes case is higher stakes than the low stakes case. Yay. Um, okay. Deep breath. I haven't been cut off yet. Nope. So You've got five minutes. Awesome. I'm going to use every one of those five minutes to talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, the cases from uh, Tim and Daniel's paper now. Um, so um, the, the standard wager on this, on this view of what stakes are works exactly the way that they say it does. Um, uh, we can just kind of look, look through here. So we, to figure out what the stakes are for Christianity, the top thing is going to be what happens in the atheism column subtracting the, the, uh, the worst from the best. Um, the bottom thing is going to be what happens in the Christianity column, again, subtracting the worst from the best. Um, 
And so since on atheism we've got a pretty modest difference and on Christianity we've got a pretty big difference uh, between these two values, we end up with, uh, in, the case of Christian in, in the case of Christianity, we have the modest thing on top and the big thing on the bottom. That gives you something small. Uh, in this case of atheism, you have the big thing on top and the modest thing on the bottom. That gives you something big. So that drives with the, the verdict that they want there. Um, things are a little bit different once, now, once we have three columns instead of just one. In this case, we can no longer read off what the, uh, the values are on not x just by looking at single columns. Not x can, breaks down into two different cases. In this case, it's the atheism case and the case where there is some god who punishes uh, believers and rewards unbelievers. Um, and so that means that the expected values you assign to how good it is, say, to be a Christian, supposing Christianity is false, um, is going to depend on how you allocate your credences among those two cases. Um, so one thing I just want to point out about this is in the case where the, uh, the credence you assign to Christianity is exactly the same as the, as the credence you assign to the God who punishes uh, the believers, as Jeremy indicated, he might be in that position the other day. Um, in that case, you do end up with the result that uh, atheism is low stakes after all, because what we get is that that difference drops you all the way down to zero. It's only when you've got significantly more probability in Christianity than you do in the deviant deity hypothesis um, that you end up still in the high stakes situation. Um, and it's very smoothly as you adjust your credence from one to the other. Um, uh, so whether this one plays in Tim and Daniel's favor or not is going to depend a lot on what your credences are uh, for, the, for Christianity versus the deviant deity. Um, in either case, well, no, never mind. Um, and just, so the Islam case is a little bit more complicated. So now we are supposing there's a third live option here. Um, and if you just add the Islam column to this, um, things, things go fairly straightforward. But I think the best way of thinking about this is that I really have further actions that I'm contemplating. Um, it's not just the possibility of being a Christian or being an atheist, but also being Muslim. That's, a, that's, a, that's something I might consider. Um, and the point is that what actions are available, that makes a big difference to how much is at stake here. Because um, it makes a big difference to whether the action I, I chose is in fact the best one, if I've got other things that can, can do better than it. And in fact, in the case that Islam is true, being Muslim does a whole lot better. Uh, so we better keep that on the table here. Um, now, the, the little formula I gave you doesn't apply quite as neatly in this case where we've got three actions. I only gave you a derivation for two actions. But what you have to do is just take that number and consider the maximum of that for each of the alternative Bs. Um, so that's why we have a little max here. Um, uh, the main point here is that on this setup, in fact, uh, contrary to what, so Tim and Daniel were very worried about this setup and ended up backing off of the stakes claim and taking a different tack. Um, but in fact, in this, for just about any credences you put in here, um, you are still going to end up with uh, Christianity being significantly lower stakes than, uh, than atheism in this picture. And the reason is just because there's nothing that makes atheism look especially good in this table, unlike in the deviant deity uh, case. So I should stop there. Excellent. Okay, so Daniel, you were going to sure. start the response. So thanks, Jeff, for some really helpful comments. Those have had us <coughs> thinking sort of violently for the past few days, <laughs> which is a good state to be in, I think. Um, 
So I haven't been to a whole lot of conferences, but I understand that my job here is to reply to your comments. And, and in that, uh, I'm supposed to you, you respond to the things you disagreed with in my paper, the things that you thought were false. And so I don't have a lot to do, I think. Uh, so one worry you raised was, uh, and this was especially more in the written comments, was this idea of uh, we use this notion of evidence and where we formulated our sort of super simple-minded argument, one, two, and three. Uh, in a longer version of the paper, uh, we sort of went through and said, we're just going to use evidence because it's shorter and it's just going to mean strength of epistemic position, right? And then from that, uh, I think harder to know just means you need a stronger s strength of epistemic position. So th that's what we're saying. Um, and, and I think that's going to avoid the problems you had of like, uh, look, it's, it's harder to know a low-stakes proposition about the number of grains of sand or like the number of stars than it would be to know like a high-stakes uh, proposition about the number of fingers I have on my hands or something. Um, but like I think uh, once we change it and just qual qualify that we're using a strength of epistemic position, uh, then that, that's not uh, as big a problem. And then also, uh, he points out that um, there's these intuitions that you have to give up once he goes his way. And in some ways, like I like the way he's cached uh, he, the theory he has, and then uh, once you apply sort of our problem to it, we're going to get the conclusion we want. So, I mean, I like that. But in, our sec in section 3.1 of our paper, we worry about this symmetry objection uh, to the view because if it turns out that really good things raise the stakes, then uh, the claim that the Christian is lower stakes than the atheist is going to look really bad because heaven's on the line, and that's a super good thing, and that's going to raise the stakes. Um, and he just sort of urges us to abandon that intuition, uh, and he does it sort of cavalierly, more, more cavalier than I would want to. Um, so, I, I mean, if we end up adopting this theory that Jeff suggests, uh, I'd want to offer some kind of error theory for why we think that cases where you have really good state, like really good outcomes, can, can raise the stakes. We have those intuitions that you're suggesting we should abandon, given that your theory of stakes is true. Um, Let's see. But I'm kind of interested to hear, um, and this is sort of one of the things I hope would come out more yesterday during uh, John and Charity's talk, because they said, here's this model, uh, and given this model, then we can cause all these problems for pragmatic encroachment uh, theories. Um, and then I was hoping we'd get something like this response to say, well, that's just not the model. The model is something like this, and you can see that they're radically different because on uh, John and Charity's model, uh, the, their sort of slogan for stakes is the, uh, the, the wider the gap, the higher the stakes. And this one is like when you get high stakes, or sorry, when you have a really good outcome, it lowers the stakes. I mean, it's pretty radically different views. So that's enough to say, like, look, or starting grounds for thinking that's not the right model. Um, so I'm really interested to see like some interaction um, concerning these sorts of questions, uh, and I'm sort of interested because it, it matters. Like if John and Charity's uh, view of stakes is right, then that ends up being bad for our view because it's strongly symmetric, and then the stakes will be just as high for the Christian as for the atheist. Got it. <clears throat> I mean that that there's not really much I want to add. I mean, you know. 
one thing that, that is sort of interesting is the methodological question here. Um, and we were, of course, just approaching this in a very like, extraordinarily flat-footed way. Um, there's some connection uh, between knowledge and action, and that's somehow connected to stakes. Uh, here's this interesting wager that's been sort of dormant for a while because it looked like it wasn't the type of thing that could you know, make belief more rational, but then you connect that up with the stake stuff and it looks like uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's wrong. Uh, and, and one of the things that's interesting about this is just what we might be able to learn about a theory of stakes from considering what happens when you start to fuss with this in various ways. And so that's, that's really kind of what we were, we were doing. And so it's interesting, again, to see here what we've got is different theories of how the stake stuff connects up to uh, rational belief in all sorts of interesting ways. So, so there's the Schroeder stuff, like what Matt was talking about. Uh, we've got, you know, maybe it all explodes, uh, John and Charity, and then we've got Jeff. This is what it has to be like. This is the one. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, uh, it, would, it would be really interesting to see, uh, you know, if there was some kind of dialogue that we could get going about that. Um, I know that's, that's not necessarily about our paper, but that is actually a result that we were hoping would emerge from this paper is, is more sort of discussion about that exact issue. Uh, so, so yeah, thanks to Jeff. I also should uh, rectify a wrong from yesterday. Uh, I, I commented on Matt's paper, but those comments were uh, very much influenced by Daniel. We worked on those together. So of course this means that whatever you didn't like was his fault. Whatever you didn't like was mine. Uh, just, you know, take that for what it's doing. So yeah, that's, that's all I have to say. All right. Um, Jelani can start. So just like, I think the intuitive notion of stake shouldn't go higher with the benefits of being right. So if you're offered the choice between two actions, if you pick the wrong one, you lose a finger. If you pick the right one, you get a candy. I don't think you get to lower the stakes by making the good action picking. You get a couple of hundred bucks. But still, if you pick the wrong choice, you lose a finger. So I think, I, yeah, I don't know, like, I mean, it's open question, but I think that intuitive notion of stakes is just the cost of, no, I think the stakes are just as, you know, they are not getting any lower by the fact that if I pick the right action, instead of just getting a candy, I would get a couple of hundred but dollars. Do you think that raises the stakes, adding in to get them a couple hundred bucks relative no, to the candy I think case? they're all the same. It's all the same, so it's just tracking the risk? Cost of being wrong. Yeah. So this is... Not That's like the way the stakes get set up in John and Charity's view. Right? Yeah. No. Or really how the stakes can affect things on the shoulder view, I don't think. I don't think. No, but I think it's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and barring um, some of the stuff we mentioned like in the section about the deviant deity, then that's going to be really good uh, for for our view, I think, because it is riskier. I think there are worse outcomes on being an atheist than there are on being a Christian. Atheist, I haven't had many atheists threaten me with eternal damnation lately. <laughs> For example. Oh, oh you <laughs> 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 All right, we're going to segue right to Jeremy's follow-up there. <laughs> okay. Uh, can I, I just add one clarification? Yes. Um, so, so good outcomes can make the stakes go higher if the good outcome is at that place in the table. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so you could have really high stakes just because you're in danger of missing out on something really good, not just because you're in danger of getting something really bad. Is it? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, uh, so how does it come up in my case? 
Yeah, I have to think about that. But it, oh yeah, so in my case, it, like it would, it would, uh, it would come out like that. Like if there, uh, yeah, it's not just strictly a matter of the worst outcome. So, for instance, if the, uh, well, no, I have to think about it more, but. I think we agree. It's like my idea is that you you look at at the at the situation uh, where something bad happens and what's the difference between what would have happened if you had taken the other choice at that very situation, and then that gives you the stakes. So you could you could lower the stakes by making it that you would lose a, a bit of the finger anyway, and then possibly the whole finger. So, so I'm guessing the part of pragmatic encroachment you want to give up on that kind of view is that the stakes co-vary with the threat, the probability threshold, which is uh, yeah. sufficient for practical certainty. Yeah, I think right. I will go up from practicality. Okay, Mike. So, so this might be a kind of minor point, but I'm wondering why agnosticism isn't on the decision tables. Um, so why? You know, it's not just, your choice isn't just believe Christianity or believe atheism, right? You, you also have the option of withholding. Um, uh, is, that, is that right, or is there some reason you left, left, that, left that out? Or? Go ahead. We were just, I think, wanting to start with a binary choice. It's not a forced choice, and we didn't, yeah. we didn't take it to be a forced choice. We were just thinking, here's a binary choice. Let's see what traction we can get on how this might play out. And, and then the stuff at the end about, I mean, this, that's sort of related to the Islam objection. It's just a variation on that theme. But we're happy with sort of starting with a huge table and seeing, seeing what happens. But we just thought it'd be easier to sort of isolate these two and, and see how you know, the stake stuff might bear on right. what well, that looks the, like. The reason I ask is it seems like the stakes that ought to be in play are, are you know, between believing Christianity and not believing, which you could do in by by being an atheist or by being an agnostic, right? It might be that the, the, the costs are all, uh, you know, the, the, the decision table. Yeah, I mean, not believing includes believing all sorts of other things, too. Like believing that Islam is true or that Hinduism is true or whatever. So, so I mean, that, that's the big, that's just, again, the variation on the Islam objection. It's, you know, instead of, it's the agnosticism objection, right? Uh, so add in that row, column, or both, or whatever you want to do. And, and see how it plays out. But we thought that, that the, you know, the binary case was sort of easier to just get a grip on. And that, that's, I mean, we were sort of being guided by the original wager, though obviously it's, it's not a wager-like setup um, because it's, it's not forced and so on. But we just thought, hey, this looks like it might you know, have some consequences if pragmatic encroachment is true. So let's think about the binary case and then we'll worry about how it gets more complicated you know, in the objections. Setup. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I guess I I, I guess it just seems to me that as a kind of that the typical way you you should do things is to compare the belief to the withholding rather than compare the belief comparing the belief to the believing not p. Um, I mean, maybe you should do two comparisons: believe compare the belief to the withholding and compare the believing not p to the withholding. 
And that's how you ought to kind of think about the cost of error and the advantages to having a true belief if it's true. Um, so you know, it might it might turn out. I suspect it, that the decision table will turn out, you know, ha to have most of the same values and might not matter in this case. So it's partly just a, you know, a, a point about how how these things should go more generally. Did you want how the calculations should go? That is. Yeah. I mean, I'm just sort of wondering why you do that when you're just comparing the stakes of two things. Right? So, I mean, if you're wondering what you should do given all the options, so that's sort of like, there's sort of some action. But we're not, we're not making any claim about action just yet. The we're just sort of here defending the first premise and saying the stakes are higher for one than the other. And if you're just comparing those two things, then, I mean, you don't have to have this, like, exhaustive list. We're just saying, let's just start with two things, see what's higher. Now, if we add in stuff, does that mess it up or something like that? Yeah, but I thought the stakes were supposed to determine a threshold of, you know, a pragmatic encroachment threshold of, of uh, you know, epistemic justification, right? And if that's true, then you don't just pick any old, you know, alternative to belief. I mean, it should be with withholding, or I guess so it seems to me. I mean, you ought to think, well, what's the, what's the cost to being wrong, if I believe it? And what's the, you know, advantage, of, what's the cost of missing out on a truth if I believe it? Uh, or sorry, if I, if I withhold, right? Yeah. So, so again, you know, it's, it's just a, a general point. But I, I take it that that's what determines on, the, on a pragmatic encroachment view um, what the epistemic standard is, not a comparison with believing the denial. Yeah. So um, this actually relates to a little bit of the comments you originally gave me that which you didn't want to talk about because they thought would come up in other things. Yeah, um, sure. But it has to do with the thing you're really thinking is important, as you just said at the end of the responses. So Charity and John have given a, a, a view of stakes that has to do with gaps. I've appropriated that and given a similar view of stakes. Jeff's given a fancy view of stakes. But in your paper, you guys don't give a view of, you give us, you talk about stakes of games, you talk about stakes of the situation, and I just want to hear, I get that you want to respect the, the asymmetry thing, but like, you can, I just want to hear like what, what you're going to say about certain cases where it looks like you have the same potential loss, but you, how are you going to label a case where you have to choose between one game where if you win, you get a million dollars. If you lose, you pay two dollars. And another game where if you win, you get 10, and you lose, you, get, you lose two. So like, you, in each game, you stand to lose the same, but the, other one, the first one, you stand to gain a ton if you win. Now, are you gonna say, what are you gonna say? Is one of these games higher stakes than the other? Or do you not have an intuition? Or like, if once we start getting that, then we might be able to know what you're thinking about when you're labeling things high stakes or low stakes or higher than yeah, so that's that's the strategy right so yeah to to, to avoid the no 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 <laughs> to, to to try to get at what i mean what is driving these judgments on you know by thinking through cases so i was just speaking for myself um and i don't know that julianne would be happy with this but i think they we can give the answer too yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh the the case where you stand to gain a bunch that looks to me, anyway, higher stakes. Okay. Daniel, and you... But, yeah. but can I add something to that, though? So it wouldn't look as high stakes to me if, if it was reversed. So you stand to gain two and lose 10 million, right? 
I mean, that would look that would look higher stakes to me. That's fine. That, so so it's not tracking just the yeah. gap, though the gap matters. I'm just making sure it's not tracking solely that you stand to lose. That that's what I'm worried about at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. And that's that's the point we make about the the goods the goodies, you know, increasing. So you do think gaps can matter? It's just that yeah, they, they're right. not uniformly mattering across. That, and which is which is of course Jeff would not like this view. I don't think. Right. I mean, we're sort of early in the theoretical process, I think, and we're looking for an ideal theory that captures all of our intuitions. Of course, once you go to like make the theory of the stakes, I sort of realize right now I want stuff that's going to make things like really complicated. Like uh, I w I don't want symmetry. But I want good outcomes to raise the stakes. I mean, getting both of those is going to be, be tricky. Now, I'm open to like, well, let's give it a go. Let's see if we can get something that will work that will get all my intuitions. If it doesn't, then I'm open to giving an error theory, you know, depending on how the, the theory construction goes. I'm, wor I'm uh, an error theory about some of my intuitions. But like right now, I'm thinking, you know, here's my intuitions. It would be nice if a theory captured all these. And I'm going to be skeptical of a theory that doesn't right now. Yeah, I mean, here's here's like a first stab at something. Daniel, do you have the same yeah, response yeah, I, I, to, I, I, to Tim to the? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think you can get high stakes cases that don't have any loss in them. I mean, here's a first stab at something like an error theory. If you're Jeff, say, and you you maybe share the intuition, you could say something like this. Uh, well, look, um, when when the possibility of the great gain is sort of raised to salience or something for you, you you sort of you baseline to that, and so not getting it counts as like a negative you know, utility or something like that. And, and so you can say, well, it's really not raising the stakes, but you're sort of mistaken for that reason. Uh, I mean, you could say something like that. Uh, I stole that from Daniel, by the way, so I shouldn't take credit for that. Um, yeah, but anyway, uh, that's, you know, that's something you could say if, if, you, if you were attracted to Jeff's picture, you weren't so cavalier about, you know, just like slaying the intuitions <laughs> you know, on, the, on the altar of decision theory. But, and, uh, you know, you wanted to, to say something about, yeah. OK, John had a follow-up. Just, uh, just a few clarification things. Like, we didn't have the gap view of states. That's not what the papers do. That's not at all what the papers do. What the paper did was start with a real introduce people to a way of thinking properly about this by taking a, starting with a super toy view of stakes and as an intellectual exercise showing, and then the, the, the main thrust of the paper which is perfectly consonant with what Jeff was doing is to think the key idea is practical adequacy that's the key idea all this stake stuff was half-baked throwaways that, that, that's, what, that's what it was the key idea if you look at the literature is practical adequacy and probably, if you just take intuitive notions of stakes that aren't reverse-engineered from practical adequacy, they're not going to... But I'm up for a technical meaning of stakes, which is then reverse-engineered reverse from the practical adequacy thing. But I just think everything would go smoother if you did the whole thing in terms of practical adequacy and all the results, you know. You, you'll get the result that if you're... Point eight in theism, you've got the three pills, you know. Do you want to take the belief pill, to, you know, or the agnosticism pill? You should take the belief pill. But if you're an atheist, you shouldn't take the atheist. But, you know, you'll get the same results just through practical adequacy. So, but I think it, it's not like, oh, I wanted some big debate with Jeff about what the 
I mean, he, he wasn't given, <laughs> giving us a conceptual analysis of the ordinary, all vague notion of stakes that you find. I mean, I mean it's not, you know, you know it's scattered around. That, 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 that's not what he was even trying to do. So, I mean, I, I, I just feel it's important to understand the key idea in a lot of this literature was the practical idea. That's the key theoretical idea, and it, it would just go smoother to let that kind of, you know, drive things. Can I take that point? Had something you want to respond first? Here's the follow-up to the follow-up. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's earlier. But, um, I mean, so you, at least qua authors of this paper, you don't want, you don't merely want a notion of stakes that jives with our intuitions. You want a notion of stakes that makes your premise two come out true, right? Um, the premise two is the one that yeah. said, if the stakes are higher for, yeah. for atheism than for theism, uh, or for the Christianity, then the, um, it, in the terms I've been using, then the, the probability threshold is higher, right? Um, so, so that means if you, if you want to keep, I mean, basically, I don't, there's this temptation to just kind of you know, say, well, intuitively, this gives the wrong results about something. But you've got to transfer that intuition into rejecting some piece of the proof I gave that this is what stakes are, which means you have to be rejecting some part of this, of this package. Um, it's, and, and I think, I mean, I, I don't accept the whole package. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, but what I want you to be clear about is, is which part of the package you're giving up. I don't know if I have a lot of helpful things to say about that. I mean, I'm, I don't think you have to show which premise in an argument is wrong in order to think that one is wrong. Um, so like a Morian move. <laughs> uh, for example, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It would be nice if we think that your theory gets one of these intuitions wrong. We could go through and show. I don't think there's anything in principle about your, your view. I just haven't thought about it long enough right, right. to uncover that at this point. Yeah, yeah, but that's a general challenge. I mean, I agree that yeah. there, there, I mean, I have some of the same intuitions that Julian does and stuff, but you want to leverage those into, I mean, that's, that's, that's what arguments are for. They're levers for getting from intuitions about one thing to results about other things. Jeremy? I, have a, I, think, it's, I think it's a different asymmetry. Symmetry worry. Sure. Um, uh, so, the asymmetry, the possible symmetry objection you worry about is that well, the stakes are going to be the same for the Christian and for the atheist because there's this infinite or this very large reward. This is a different one, and it's it's more related, I guess, to the stuff that's in um, the paper we wrote uh, for this for the workshop. Um, but you know, we don't have to talk about that. It's just that I, th I think on kind of the traditional. Um, but the traditional, well, I don't know if there is a tradition of pragmatic encroachment, but I, the way I, I mean, generally think about it, like so Stephen, first Stephen, like Stephen Graham's got this uh, the expression rising tides. So when the standards rise on one proposition, they rise on all of them. So, um, and I think part of the motivation for this is going to be something like that estate in Maine case, where you know it's very important to Kate that she's. On Maine, she could care less if she's on state, but he got these perpendicular street signs that say state in Maine. And he thinks it's just bizarre to say she knows that she's on state, but she doesn't know that she's on Maine. Not because that she's on state, state is high stakes in any meaningful sense. It's just that you've got the same sources basically of evidence for propositions that are the same kind of content. It's just weird to say that you would know one, not the other. 
So I think one natural thing for the pragmatic encroacher to say in response to those kinds of cases is um, when the standard rise for you on one proposition, they rise on all of them. And so the same sort of thing is going to come up here. I mean, and this is even closer than state and man. This is the same issue, right? It's whether there's a God. And so it would be weird to say that the standards for there is no God is higher than the standards for there is a God, even if it turns out that it's, there's some sense in which the stakes for one are higher than, than they are for the other. So are, are you committing to denying that kind of way of responding to state and main, state and main case, I guess? And you're, you're kind of falling out of line with certain sorts of views of pragmatic encroachment, I think. So you're adopting pragmatic encroachment for the, for the case, but it's kind of deviating in certain ways. I think that's, that sounds right to me. Now, I, this is, I've been thinking about this uh, in, the, in the context of just preparing for this uh, activity we've been doing the last couple of days. I've been learning all sorts of things. I, I hadn't read that Schroeder paper before. I read Matt's paper and I went and read that. But if you look at the, the Schroeder paper, that rising tide thing yeah. doesn't play out, right? Uh, so I, I've actually been thinking the last couple of days uh, as I've you know, been learning here that, that this strategy for, uh, in our paper may, may work a little bit better on a Schroeder type understanding of how this is all playing out. So it, it's not so much that the, the, the sort of standards that you have to meet are raising and lowering, rather it's that these things are providing non-evidential reasons or something. And maybe that's just completely insane. I'm open to that, but I haven't gotten far enough uh, in, in my thinking about that Schroeder paper to, and evaluating it to, to say whether I think that's insane. I, you know, maybe it is. But, uh, <laughs> You know, so but but I think that mm -hmm. model that model you don't get that kind of yeah. that kind of symmetry, if you will. Uh, I don't at least it's not clear to me that you do. I'm pretty sure you don't, in fact. Right. Um, and but then you got to deal with these non-evidential reasons. You have to have some that's kind right. of way of calling it epistemic justification. That's right. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I and and you have all that stuff to worry about now. But um, the, I guess the the point was that um, the the tradition. <laughs> uh, isn't isn't uniform on this point, and and so uh, there's there's some precedent at least for thinking, and, and maybe it doesn't have to look exactly like Schroeder. May, maybe there's some some other implicit assumption in all this stuff about practical adequacy that you could maybe give up, keep the spirit of it, but then it all it all works asymmetrically again in the way that we need to get this to work out. But yeah, I mean maybe the Schroeder is going to just fall. I mean, I, maybe you don't think the intuition that Meta has about the state and main case is very strong. Maybe you just don't share that intuition. But if Schroeder, either Schroeder's going to be committed to that or not. If he's, yeah. if, if he's not, then I think there's going to be a rising tides thing yeah. for him. And if he is, well, that's a problem but because I, yeah. <laughs> it seems like a bad end result. It would be a really, I think it would, it would be a fundamental change to his view if he ended up having to commit to that rising tide yeah. metaphor. I mean, just because of the way that the, the errors are playing as reasons. It just, I mean, how to get symmetry out of that, just, you know, flat-footedly thinking about how the theory is working. I mean, this kind of symmetry just, I mean, you'd have to really, really shift how you're understanding the way those reasons get added onto the, the sort of scales, as it were. Um, because they'd have to be sort of tied together in various ways that is, is, would be puzzling, I think. Do you share Ned, Ned's intuition about statement, man? Oh, Daniel? <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, no, I think you'd know one and not the other. I, I don't know. I, it's, not, it's not clear, so how about that? Yeah. So maybe I don't share it, but I, I don't exactly deny it either. <laughs> Excellent. Philosophers. Charity? I was wondering, 
uh, why you don't consider the possibility that someone who believes Christianity might also have a call for a great loss, even if Christianity is true. So it seems like a lot of people worry about their salvation. And it might be that they believe Christianity and Christianity is true and they're still worried that they might go to hell. And so and it's a real possibility to them. Uh, so I think we were trying, so this is like a worry, it's like a finer-grained worry of the kind of thing that was, Tim was pressing on Matt, like in that like, look, if for most people, like if they're a Christian, they don't think maybe that's a sufficient condition for them being saved, like say they're a Calvinist and they're worried they're not in the elect or something. Um, but the way we were thinking about it is like being a Christian sort of automatically built in the sufficient conditions for uh, salvation. So that in the way we've set up the table, that doesn't even come out. So I think we're not communicating when you're reading our table on what being a Christian is, in that you don't think it builds in the soteriological so, conditions, and we, we intended it to. But then so only pe people are Christians only, only if they don't doubt their salvation on Christianity. I mean, the, the, group of, the group of people for whom it's an epistemic possibility for them to that they might go to hell even if Christianity is true, they just aren't Christians. <laughs> you, you don't. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think I'm just, I'm maybe just not appreciating the worry. So how? So you're wanting to add another column, you're saying? Is that right? Um. Yeah. So you've got believe Christianity and Christianity is true, great gain, and I'm thinking. So you're, are you? So you yeah. Are you objecting? Are you objecting to the way we filled in that cell, or are you objecting to the way? Well, forget the, forget the cells. I'm just thinking it's a yeah. real possibility for Christians. It's a real possibility that Christianity is true and they go to hell. And that's not represented. But they believe. And that, that, and that means that the, yeah, the great loss for Christianity is, for Christians, is the same as the great loss for uh, atheists. And then you've got, you could get, depending on how you do the atheist column, you could get the stakes are, uh, are higher for the Christian because then you'll have the higher good and the, and, the, and the lower, and then only be the low for the atheist. You see what I'm saying? So depending on how you do the atheist column, you might reverse Aren't, aren't they worried about just which, which row they're in? I mean, are they worried? I mean, no, they believe. So they're confident that they believe, but they're worried that's not enough or something. Yeah, if you're Calvinist, this is like a real option because you don't determine your own salvation. You can believe in God all you want, but still no guarantee that you're saved. But they might worry that they don't believe. And yeah, they don't they have the right faith or something. Yeah, I'm not sure what to say about that, actually. That's a good question. I'll have to think about that. Yeah. Mike, you had a follow-up on the last question that I missed. Yeah, I had a follow-up to Jared. Right, yeah. Because I, I, I thought you shouldn't have given in on the rising tides in this case. So... Yeah, who did it? Yeah. Um, well, so so the ri rising tide seems really strange in this case because it's the the wagers what's doing all the work, the pragmatic work, right? And the wager rewards belief, and um, it shows that there are serious downsides to not believe, right? Um, or to to atheism, all in the same move, right? So suppose you you start with the idea, oh, you know, if I um, there. This is a case where um, there's a big reward if I believe and not much uh, loss if I don't believe. So the standards go as low as, low as they can here, right? Uh, but then I look at the, at the believing not P case and I think, oh yeah, but for that, it's a big cost if I, um, you know, you know it's for, for the same reasons, it's a big cost to not believing. 
So I'm in a high stakes case. So now the standards go as high as they go, right? Uh, for that reason, that seems really strange, doesn't because it? Because you don't have enough. Because you don't have enough evidence for God doesn't exist to justify you in believing God. Uh, sorry, it's because you don't have enough evidence for believing um, God does exist to justify you in being an atheist. Because being an atheist is really high stakes. So in order for something to justify you in believing in being an atheist, it would need a ton of evidence. Yeah. And you don't have that evidence for God exists. So you can't know it. Because to know it, it has to be practically adequate in your stake situation. And it's not. Because here's this act. It's not warranted enough to justify you in doing to use the ideology. <laughs> I also had a follow-up. So the, the structural idea was if at a context you need evidential, a certain evidential threshold to know P, then at that context by a sort of parody thing you'd need that threshold to know not P. Which I think, I mean, a good little exercise to think about the, uh, say, a high-stakes bank case, you know, where... Uh, there's what you'd need to know the bank's open, right, which is a lot. It's open on Saturday because it's a disaster if you don't. But then by the, the, the application would be, you'd also need a lot, lot to know that the bank's closed. But you think, but in, in a normal case where, you know, there's a lot at stake and you have normal evidence that the bank's closed on Saturday, that the, it'd be very weird to say in that case, oh, you don't know the bank's closed because if you wanted to know that the bank was open, you'd need to, it's, 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 no, no one reasons in, in, in that kind of way. Or because, well, to check what evidential threshold I need to know that I'm awake, I need to sort of also, at the back of my mind, think what kind of threshold I need to know that I'm not awake. I mean, it's, a, I mean, it's, 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 it's I mean, it is, it's, it's actually a bit weird how it, how it plays out, I think. But. It has some weird consequences, but I mean, I think it's it's. Um, well, I mean, if we're going to talk. I mean, this is the, this, is, this, our this is our paper, right? It's coming up, so I don't really want to get into it. Yeah, we're going to wrap it. But keep the discussion focused on this paper. Does it have to do with their paper? Yeah, follow up. It doesn't. <laughs> you don't have to be a Calvinist to have. I mean, even the Catholic. You know, Aquinas yeah. said, you know, if faith that isn't generated by a divinely inspired will isn't. Faith proper isn't a good faith, so you know. You could really worry about the, and he said heretics, even if they believe the right, you know. I, I'm not saying I, I, I buy that, but you know, it's in the, in, in, for the majority of the Catholic tradition, it's been thought, you know, even people that place emphasis on the importance of faith for salvation, they were thinking it's got to be faith with the right etiology and certainly if you took a I'm sure he'd think if you took a pill to make yourself believe that would that's the that's the the faith of demons and heretics you know yeah. Yeah. I, that's really I, I speaking for myself we just need to think about that or I do anyway <laughs> okay <laughs> speak for myself we <laughs> I need to think about it yeah. maybe he doesn't <laughs> That's how it goes yeah okay are you Jordan or Jeremy 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 good okay uh, it could be Jordan from now on. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so I just wanted to, I don't know, think a bit more about how the thing Jeff was talking about works. So here's a pattern of credences that, I don't know, kind of salient to maybe some atheists, where, say, you're um, 99 out of 1,000 that atheism is true. Um, 
Conditional on theism true, being true, they're like. Nine hundred thousand. Yeah. So, so, so one in a thousand of theism. Nine ninety. Oh, nine ninety. Oh, sorry. The, the, the thing where the nine is exactly <laughs> zero. <laughs> 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 so you're like seventeen out of fifty-six. It's got to be less than a thousand times. It's got a thousand times that has still got to be less than the uh, cost of being damned. Yeah, I'm thinking the costs are just like so enormous that the ratio is yeah, just totally whatever whatever goodness of going for atheism if it's true or badness of avoiding it if if it's right because it is true that the, the existence of all these alternative religions do lower the stakes for atheism compared to there just being one of these other ones. Um, because my expected value on being wrong, I've still got only a one in a thousand chance of getting the right religion. Um, right. So like nine hundred ninety-nine in a thousand chance of being just as bad off as. I, right. So I'm thinking, like the credence of, I mean, the, the the stakes for any of the religions uh, is going to be uh, one minus a millionth. Um, and then the stakes for atheism is going to be um, um, a millionth times the ratio of great to modest. And the ratio of great to modest is well more than a million. It's, you know, like huge numbers of zeros after it. That's how awesome salvation is. Um, or, or, or how horrible damnation is. And it just seems like that's a very weird kind of thing. It's saying, like, oh, you, it's so astronomically harder to know atheism because the, the payoff structure is such that you should just sort of t 
take a shot in the dark for one of the rewards given the, the payoff structure. And I mean, I, th I think it's interesting that just these constraints force that kind of structure, but it's a very weird thing to call stakes. And I don't know, once you realize that decision, holding the kind of decision theory fix and the threshold thing fix that practical advocacy really amounts to that kind of thought in this particular case, I don't know, for me, that's feeling a lot like a reductio of practical advocacy, or at least making me want to, you know, change it in some kind of way. But I'm to that kind of thought. Yeah, uh, uh, I think that, I don't so what this stakes thing is tracking is just how confident do you have to be to uh, basically pretend as if that thing is true? Um, you know, how, how confident of it do you have to be such that acting as if you were certain is just as good? Um, uh, I, I didn't really, I, I have to work through the details here. I think, I think you're right about how this case goes, where, in fact, the rational thing to do in this kind of situation is even when you're not very confident at all uh, that atheism is false, take the shot in the dark. I mean, certainly you can set it up like that. But the, um, but the interesting but, thing about it is whatever religion you go for, you're also taking a shot in the dark, because there's so many religions. Um, but the way you set it up, it doesn't matter. The stakes for each religion is very high, because, well, you don't have that much credence in any of them. And, sorry, in deism at all, and then among them, um, there, there are a lot of them, and your credence is sort of uniform. Right? I guess your priors are being so you need a lot of... I, I mean, they're still going to be pretty high because even though no, they're going to be pretty high, but they're but they're going to be not even close to as high as they are for atheism because atheism is being exploded by the ratio of the of, of great to modest on this decision table. I think we need to work it out. I, I think it's, yeah. not, it's, it's I'm not I'm not sure that's right. Okay, I was just thinking that would be the way of extending this these maximum things to. A whole bunch of religions, right? Let's just talk about it. Yeah. Ken. Thanks. Um, I mean, uh, on this, just on this last point, it, 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 it depends uh, so much on your priors and on the values you attach. I mean, that's what's going to do all the work. So, yeah, you can work it out in lots of different ways. You can get really different answers. Um, my, I, I want to pick, I want to try to micro it a little bit and get in on something a little more specific. So, um, I'm going to follow the symmetry objection. Um, so, it, it seems to me that to coin a phrase, you, you um, uh, I don't want to say that your symmetry intuition, your asymmetry intuition is wrong, but uh, just that it's unmotivated. So there are two ways that you um, try, to, try to talk about this. And the first is that uh, you appeal to the literature and you say that the cases are, are not much about uh, positive cases. And obviously, this doesn't seem all that convincing because it's just anecdotal and, and also it's, you know, uh, we might have all sorts of reasons for worrying more about uh, bad things than trying to imagine good situations We're pessimistic or something, or decision theorists are pessimistic or epistemologists are pessimistic or something. Um, so you offer the second case, which is between this choice of bets. And I think it's, it's really problematic for several reasons. So um, we're trying to decide between this bet which you have of losing the $500 you have or of gaining $500. Um, uh, and you say, well, look, it lo looks like it's better to um, keep your $500 as it were rather than risk it on, on the gain of 500 But there's really, uh, there's lots of ways we can explain this way. So the obvious way is diminishing marginal utility of money. So it's really well established that we have preferences such that we have diminished marginal utility of money. 
And if you change it so that it's utils, for example, instead of money, then it becomes much less obvious. Because 500 utils, a loss of 500 utils and a gain of 500 utils, is probably not going to correspond for beings like us to $500 versus minus $500. And the other way you can explain it away is, is a really well-known bias, which is risk aversion, or risk averse creatures as well. And it's sort of a, they're, they're not exactly the same bias, but they're both going to be picked out by your case and not by a way that's a, a cleaner case. And in the cleaner case where you're just doing, where you have 500 utils and blah, 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 you're, um, I don't think you're going to get your intuition nearly as cleanly as you'd like. And then that's going to undercut the motivation to have the asymmetry. So there's a couple things to say. I mean, so neither of these things are like sort of put forth as a deductive argument for the conclusion that stakes are asymmetric. It's just some sort of, I was trying to come up with the, some reasons, I guess. Um, um, so in response, I think the, uh, your comment about the dis diminishing utility of, of money is a good one. Uh, and so I think you can run the case with a lot smaller values, and that's going to minimize that. Um, but then it also sort of weakens the intuition. And I mean, I still have the intuition that the, like a game where you'd lose, just make it five instead of 500. Or you could also try and entertain it like if you're a millionaire, then like $500 is gonna, getting it and losing it's about the same. Um, but I mean, I'm, uh, yeah. So I've, I've asked like some people if you care about that sort of thing. And, uh, and no one has said, well, yeah, it's the same stakes for both cases. Like, that's never been, and no one's ever responded that way. And, and everyone feels a little weird about it. Because usually, I mean, the sort of way we normally ascribe stakes is something like, well, I can point at the high-stakes poker tables in the casino and the low-stakes poker tables. And those have, like, high, like the high-stakes are high-risk, high-reward, and the low-stakes are, like, low-risk, low-reward. So that's how people normally track it. But and almost everyone I've talked to said, yeah, it's, it's higher stakes if I'm going to get my intuition, even in like the $5 case, which I think is sort of like puzzling. I mean, if, if it was strongly symmetric, then why don't we get people just saying, oh yeah, they're the same. That's easy, right? Um, uh, yeah. Maybe I'm not tracking the response. I mean, sure. the, the, the reason that we think that one is high stakes is because we have the diminishing marginal utility. So we think that the, 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 the losing is, is is uh, larger stakes because it's worth more to us, and it actually is more utility. So the idea was to sort of shrink the dollar amount such that you, you're not sort of in the diminishing. But you're still going to hit the curve. A different. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you don't. So yeah. you have to think the diminishing margin utility for money like starts like at zero or something. I mean, it might like the curve. I mean, if you think there's any sort of pair of like, if if you think there's any place with the utility of money such that, you know. One, one unit of that is the first unit is equivalent in utility to the second unit. Take it down to that case. Well, there is, I mean, there's a really huge economics literature on this question, and the it's it's pre, and we have we have good uh, understanding of how diminishing marginal utility works, and it works on pretty pretty broad scales and pretty small scales. So I mean, we we, we have a lot of we have a lot of evidence in this question, um, and. I mean, if that was right, the, the, the difference is going to diminish the larger That's right. it yeah. goes. And so then, I mean, 
we'd expect to get really different results when asking people to assess the stakes of these two different games when the, the value is really large and when it's really small. Uh, and, and, and That's right, but we're still going to get asymmetry. I mean, the, the effect is going to shrink of the asymmetry, but it'll yeah. still be asymmetric. That's what we put it. Okay. Amelia, had a follow-up? So why can't you just do the case without having, like, so why, if you, whatever the amount is, why can't you just have a case where, so let's take, like, a $5 case. So the one bet is, like, you have to bet $5, and you can either, like, keep them, or you can lose them, and the other one you have to bet nothing, and you can get nothing or you can win $5. It's like the same amount. So there's like no, because your case is one where it's like $500 and either you gain 500 more or you lose them. So there you have like the diminishing marking. But the case I just gave you, it's the same, I mean, it's the same, it's not as if you like, in the one case you can, you have either 500 or 1,000 or you have like 500 or zero. I think you get symmetry in your case. I think you're right. You, that's that's the right yeah, case. So that would be more. Yeah. So maybe you do that. That case looks like. Then at least you avoid that problem. But then if you get symmetry, then I guess. Then you get symmetry. Then I mean, you're right. if you if you start with five and you could lose it to get to zero, or you start with zero and you could gain five and you go to five. I mean, that looks like a case of obvious symmetry to me. Yeah. Maybe I'm just saying that's okay, a better yeah, case that of kind of. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Amina. Working on formulating my question. How do you put it? Wash your hands. Okay, Matt. Uh, I actually just had two questions, if I can think them up pretty, pretty quick. Right. Dude, I bumped your head because you hadn't asked any questions before. Okay. So you get but one now, question. And okay, then you all right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, uh. and if it's super short, well, okay. So I was just going to re ask the question that the gentleman in the gray sweater asked at the previous talk on this. And so, uh, so if if you're right that a decision matrix looks the way it does, then there are interesting questions about the bearing of pragmatic encroachment um, on the situation. But isn't it just pretty plausible that that theory, uh, that matrix is not right? That the most plausible um, theistic view would be one in which God is all good, would not reward some people just for believing, probably would. God would be a universalist. Everyone would go to heaven. Certainly wouldn't reward someone for believing on the basis of pragmatic reasons of this sort. So, and then if we start talking about possible gods who aren't like that, then, then we have all sorts of gods who do all sorts of random things, right? They might punish you for believing. So then I think all Jeremy's concerns arise. So the most plausible god is one who would not make that cell in the matrix come out to be infinite gain only for belief. Maybe it's infinite game for everybody. Belief or disbelief. So, I mean, I mean, it's an interesting question. If that were the correct matrix, what would the implications be? But I just don't see the case for that being the correct matrix. It's his, it's just his objection. Yeah. So, I, I, good, yeah. Um, <laughs> I suppose here's one fact. Uh, there are a lot of people that would fill it out this way. Yeah. They didn't come back to yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, now, now, I, I suppose a lot's going to just depend on what you think the evidence tells us about what God would be like. It has to be all good. 
He has to be all good. Powerful. Yeah, that's right. So those two things. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, well, okay. I mean, I, you know, it's not it's not so obvious to me that those two things are incompatible. So uh, I mean, and there's a there's a long tradition that's uh, in that. Yeah. So I mean, maybe you think that that's just completely insane, and we, you know, uh, that's fair enough. It's the problem of hell, right? That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, I grant that, and it, it is. Yeah, it is a problem. That's hell, and it's yeah. probably the problem yeah. of unjust heaven, right? But we weren't <laughs> we weren't intending to solve that problem. Uh, yeah. Okay, so and, and I grant the, so, so to, yeah, yeah. So to to to, to sort of uh, to sort of make it all work as you know, this is this is how it actually works out. You do have to defend against those sorts of worries. We, we were again, we were just sort of curious, like what kind of you know, what would follow from the wager, just taken yeah. as understood the way that that Pascal did, more or less, except not in terms of you know wagering, but in terms of just stakes, pragmatic encroachment kinds of things. If if this was the right way to sort of fill it out, right. but but sort of controlling for the problem that you had when you have infinite utilities, um, and then and then just see what what we can learn from that. Now, uh, I mean, we we could argue about whether there are solutions to the problem of hell and so on, but I I, I think that would sort of take us to a place that's not sort of directly about this this particular. So it seems like you, you you could raise a lot of the same issues you're trying to raise by just scrapping um, yeah. the. Ask a wager aspect and yeah. just consider cases in which there isn't a, something really bad that happens if P and you do a certain action, but something really good you're not getting if you do that action. Yeah. Right? So it, and it doesn't have to be infinitely good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just ask yeah. if those are high stakes cases, how that bears on pragmatic encroachment. Because I think bringing in Pascal's wager. Maybe it's not. Yeah. All right. Okay, Amia? Uh, just a little. Yeah, you did your follow up finger. I can't remember the provenance, but there's. You know, the joke that goes, well, joke that might speak a lot of truth that goes uh, that there's a special place reserved in hell for those who believe because of Pascal's wager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was all. Okay, Jesse had a follow up and then. Just want to point out one of the nice features about doing things with large finite values rather than infinite values is that the, the, you can still respond to some of the things you were saying. So long as you think that believing is slightly probabilifying getting a much better outcome rather than uh, a worse one. If the, the difference you know, between them is vast, even very small, even if I think there's just a tiny chance that this is going to get me into heaven, um, it could still make a big difference in the expected values for these outcomes. I think, given that, oh, good God, it's believing and living a certain sort of life. Probably everybody gets to be saved, I think. It, and if not everyone gets to be saved, believing and living a certain kind of life, you should lead anyway. That you have other reasons that are not theistic reasons for leading. leaving. I think those, those reasons will apply whether God exists or not. And so... But the effect what you should do. But the worry about yeah. the wager is that even if you have a little bit of doubt about yeah. that hypothesis, that that can speak. But then there'll be doubts the about other random gods. Oh, who, I know. But they'll all drive the hypothesis. The, but they, I think they'll the balance wager. out. It's, uh, That's what I'm, I think. They, they will just balance. There'll be a logical possibility Maybe, of one kind of crazy. I think yeah. I think it's a real pressing worry though. Even I mean, like I like you, I take these views very seriously, but. Um, I'm still worried about the wager, even so, because of these. Uh... Okay, Rachel, I'm bumping you up in the queue because you haven't asked a question before. 
I, okay, so I guess I want to like expand a little on like a worry of charities earlier. So in the paper it says, suppose one believes that Christianity is true, then if it is true, one receives a great reward. And so like charity's worry was like, but what if your belief is not of the right kind? So my worry is slightly different, which is that like, so suppose you think that as well as believing Christianity, there are certain kinds of acts that you have to perform or refrain from performing in order to get your great reward and avoid your great loss. And it seems like in that case, like suppose let's call one of these act types that you have to refrain from performing like a theta type act. So then it seems like for an, for an atheist in a world where theism is true, the decision whether or not to theta is going to be like pretty low stakes because they're going to go to hell regardless. So they get a great loss either way. And if atheism is true, then for both the theist and the atheist, the decision of whether or not theta is going to be pretty low stakes as well. But if theism is true, then the decision of whether or not to theta is like super high stakes <coughs> for the theist, because the decision of whether or not to theta is like the thing that determines whether or not they get to go to heaven or go to hell, in which case their theistic belief is like a, a relevant belief in a super high stakes case, which kind of interferes with the whole theism being easier to know than atheism argument. I was just wondering what... Talk amongst I'm, yourselves. <laughs> Amia's ready for her question. Is it, well, first, the, so, like the, the worry that Charity had. I mean, all the, this is, as you say, kind of a, a similarly structured worry and I and I think I'm gonna have to say the same thing that I did to charity which is just thanks I, I, I I've not thought about that so I, and I really just sort of off on the fly right now I don't have anything particularly helpful to say um, I, yeah that I mean that's that's really all I can say so I'm, I'm you know there it is Here you come Okay, so here's the thing that's been confusing me that this whole time, and, and anyone is welcome to clarify it. So it's, it's really simple, but... Um, so if, if you look at page two of Jeff's thing, it's not, it's not a question about Jeff's thing, but um, the first matrix there about the bank case, so that's a payoff matrix for the high-stakes bank case, right? It's not, it doesn't compare doesn't tell us anything about pragmatic encroachment, right? So it doesn't compare the high-stakes bank case from the low-stakes bank case. Right? It just says, here's what makes the high-stakes bank case sort of high stakes, right? Is that there is a cell that says terrible things. So now let's take by analogy the, the matrix below it. I read that as being the payoff matrix for the situation that, you know, people confronted with the forced choice between Christianity and atheism face. I don't understand what it means, thus, for the choice uh, for the, Christ, the Christian to be facing a low stakes something and the atheist to be facing something high stakes. I mean, it seems like that's just a wrong way of speaking, right? So the decision as to whether to be Christian or atheist is what's high stakes. And it's high stakes because there's something that's one of the cells says great gain and because something says great loss, you know, something like that, some story about what's in the cells. But it's not like being Christian is, has any kind of stakes. And it's not like being atheist has any kind of stakes because that's just the state of being, right? So, it's, it's, so I mean, the, the comparison here would be 
you'd have this matrix, this would be the high stakes case, and then the, the low stakes case would be something like this, except Christianity was this really wonderful, warm and fuzzy religion which says, believe or don't believe, you're like gonna win the lottery, the cosmic lottery. Um, and it turns out that life is also really good, so you get the cosmic lottery, or you get a great cosmic lottery, whatever, right? Um, or things were bad, but they were just uniformly bad. Okay, so that, that implies something trivial about how we're all talking about things, about stakes and whatever, but I think it might say something, implies something deeper than that, which is, this isn't about stakes. This is a question about, the question you're answering is, how do you respond, what's rational to do in, the, in a high stakes case? It's not the, the question you're answering is not what makes a case high stakes, because the case, right? Because you're interested in what, you're, you're interested in the question, why be Christian rather than an atheist, right? But the question is, why should we care about the, I mean, but that's not the question about why, uh, that's not a question about stakes. At least, at least with the analogy in the original bank cases and how stakes is being used in the bank cases. So that, that's my confusion. Can I say something quick about that? Because, so I know that you're looking at it a little bit differently, but the way I was looking at it, it's just a confusing red herring of these cases that the rows have very similar labels to the columns. Um, uh, what the stakes are attaching to here is we've got a certain decision situation and we've got a proposition, which is some, some column of the, of the, uh, the table. Um, and the stakes for that column are, you know, is this thing about you know, how good it is to be right about it and how bad it is to be wrong about it, right? Um, yeah, but it's, the, I mean, that's the payoff, right? But in the original bank cases, this, this matrix is just a description of the high stakes bank case. The low stakes bank case is something that looks just identical except the cells are different. Mm -hmm. So the cells don't tell us individually about the stakes associated with either of the propositions being true or the decisions. The table as a whole tells us, on, on the view that I was describing, um, this, the table as a whole tells you about the stakes for the propositions corresponding to the different columns of your table. Charity, do you want to yeah, so clarify? I, I had a similar word. I think this is a similar word to what she's suggesting, but if you, if you take the high stakes bank case, um, if the guy goes on Saturday, you know, he could have the short wait and terrible things happen. If he goes on Friday, you know, it's relatively the same. But it looks like what you're saying is the stakes are low if he believes he should go Friday, and they're high if he believes he should go Saturday. But in the, usually the stakes are driven up just by the fact that something really bad could happen on Saturday. But he's supposed to then believe that he should go Friday, and the stakes don't go down once he believes he should go Friday. Yeah, so there's these two different things moving around. So this question of how, how high are the stakes? But the stakes are the same for the atheist and the Christian, right? As long as the payoffs are the same. Counterfactual. Um, then there's this question about, you know, if a decision is high stakes, how, do you, how should you respond? And is the answer different to the question, is how should you respond rationally when the question is, when the, when the stakes are low? And pragmatic encourages them to say yes under certain conditions, but it's not a question about stakes. At least, then, at least as stakes is being used in the original bank cases, it's just a question about decisions, you know, rational decisions. So, are you thinking that actions can't be low and high stakes? 
I'm thinking, okay, so in the original bank cases, you have case A and case B. The only things that are different is how bad it would be if you failed to cash the check or whatever it is, right? So it's not like, so, so, so it's the full matrix, that the full situation that is high stakes in the first case and low stakes in the second case. It's not particular actions, right? It's not particular choices. It's not like a choice is high stakes. The decision. I mean, it's, the decision is high stakes, but not like one particular arm of that decision, right? So like everyone who confronts <laughs> the decision is in a high stakes situation. So everyone who has to make the decision about whether to be Christian or not, or whether to be atheist or not, confronts this high stakes decision. Yeah, but it's not like the individual actions that are, that are possible responses to that decision, in the sense, carry stakes. They carry payoffs. So I just don't think, I don't understand what's going on when people talk about stakes as attached to, you know, particular, particular actions. Yeah. That was something like yeah. Julian follow up I mean, and then you can talk. I think that I need like, uh, you know, going Saturday is something that you would do if the bank was open Saturday. How probable must it be that the bank is open on Saturday for you to take this action? And then going Friday is something you would do, in particular if the bank is closed on Saturday, how probable must it be that the bank is closed Saturday for you to do this action? And I think this is the way you just set, set the, the thing. So you, you could get this idea that the stakes of the bank being open that Saturday for the action going Saturday, which is the action that it supports, are higher because you need a high probability there uh, than uh, the stakes of the bank being uh, the stakes on the bank being closed Saturday for the action of going Friday, because you don't need a high probability there. So as soon as it's like slightly probable that the bank is closed Saturday, you decide to go Friday. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's something we can say about the case. I just don't know if we're being consistent about the stake terminology. We, I mean, it's a different use of the notion of stakes. It's, but it's, it's applying it to the actions rather than to the decisions. But I don't think that's like a complete bastardization of the, the term. At least, well, I mean, it doesn't seem to be to me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that. This is the way we're talking differently. They want to talk about stakes of an action. Um, I want to talk about how much is at stake in whether in a proposition yeah. for a, a, given a certain decision context, right? So that's I, I don't but endorse that. Yeah, position yeah. for an action because you, you say like being it's right a, about this proposition and being right about this proposition is having taken action A and action A is the one you would prefer given. So in fact, your notion is also related to state uh, to so, an action. So you did point out there's a nice feature of these tables, which is that on each proposition, there's some uniquely best action, which is like the action for that proposition. And so you can get, get at it through those actions that way, if you, if you like. So for uh, instance, but it, it can, looks like I, a, a is the action in your formula. Yeah, but the thing a is, is the action for which you are counting the states, right? But, but basically, the, but what we've got here is this is a, a number we read off from the four cells of the decision table, right? And uh, the, it's the four cells of the decision table um, and the way we arranged them is determined by x. What determined by which proposition we choose, right? Okay, we're running short on time. I'm going to give. Okay, you sure. Okay, John, last question. Um, yeah, just 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 another case to give you a feel how ordinary ideology of stakes is not going to march at all with uh, 
practical certainty. I mean, suppose I got a choice between going to two news agents to get the newspaper and it's just a newspaper. I'm indifferent between w w which I go to. I'm 0.99 that one newspaper, news agent A won't fall on my head. I'm 0.99 that news agent B will fall on my won't fall on my head. You know, I've got. There's no no one in the epistemology literature is going to look at that and say, "Oh, high stakes situation." No one's going to say that, but. You're not practically certain, because as things stand, you're indifferent, but conditional. You're not practically certain with respect to the proposition that A won't fall on your head, because as things stand, you're indifferent, but conditional on the proposition that A won't fall on your head. You're, uh, um, you know, uh, it's, you ought to prefer uh, A to B. I mean, that's, the, and, that, and that's how things are going to play themselves out in the backward engineered thing. But it's totally unrecognizable vis-a-vis -vis ordinary casual judgments about stakes. And it, you're not going to start working more and more on the intuition, then suddenly it will all the, the casual judgments will uh, fit, fit the, 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 the practical certainty idea. The practical certainty idea is just a different idea. No? In this sense, there's a, in this situation, there's a lot at stake in whether it's, it falls on your head. What I think is, if we talk, if we start to use the ideology, the ideology of is it a high-stakes situation or is it a low-stakes situation? That's no guide at all. Absolutely no guide at all to practical certainty because there are lots of cases. Now we've got these slightly more hybrid notions that are sort of somewhere in between ordinary ideology and techie ideology where maybe we could but I mean w what these guys are doing a bit is using the ideology of whether it's a high stakes or a low stakes situation to guide intuitions and if we do that there's going to be no way we can caress the way those ordinary intuitions play themselves out to make it even approximate the practice it's, it's just going to have no interesting no very systematic relationship at all to the practical certainty idea. So you've got to decide, do you like the practical certainty idea? If you do, just stop talking about this high, low-stakes situation, because this is not going to harmonize with that. It's just not going to. No, I mean, I think I see that now. Uh, but I got this <laughs> unpublished yeah. paper, yeah. right? Um, but before, no, I mean, no, no. I was I, firmly convinced that these things went yeah. together. Like, I just, when I was talking about stakes, I thought I was talking about practical accuracy. That goes up and, you know, mm -hmm. these things are related in sort of a really consistent way. I was news to us about a week and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we need to either reformulate the paper in terms of yeah. practical adequacy or... And that's, that's the change the notion of states or something. Yeah. Yeah, or massage the notion of practical adequacy or something. So, that's yeah, that, that's, that just seems right. Yeah. And, and I mean, on the, on the P thing, I mean, I'd like, I don't know if I have ordinary pre judgments about whether the stakes change a lot when I switch from being 0.99 in both to being 0.77 in you know, the, 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 we'd have to look, if, we, if we're doing any sort of ordinary language thing. But For what it's worth, this does not track that credence. It, it does, it's insensitive to... Yes, I, so I, I know, that's why I was giving that. I, I have a sense that in a case where there's a 50% chance of each that they'll fall on your head, 
I think the, there's a lot at stake. You, you know, the, 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 you know, the, there's a lot at stake when it comes to. But, but you know, I, I, I'd want to, I'd want to on the ordinary language thing. I'd want to check how, how it works. But maybe it breaks your way. For eliciting yeah. this, yeah. So, um, I, I, uh, on those kind, on these kinds of cases, we're changing the probabilities, changing the stakes. I've, I've noticed here, since I'm from Canada, um, crossing the street is a much higher stakes decision than it, than it is in Canada. And the only thing that's changing is the probability that I'm going to, that a car is coming that I haven't seen or something like that. Yeah. So, it's, and that that's kind of an ordinary notion of, the, yeah. of stakes. And yeah. It's just crystal clear to be using that ordinary notion that it's right, higher exactly. stakes getting across yeah. the street here. Whereas this, the, the ideology he's using yeah. is how much is at stake when it comes to yeah. P or when, when it comes to weather. Yeah. And then... Yeah. Yeah. In their and then that's, that's a bit, a bit techy already. <laughs> All right, well join me in thanking our speakers.